is from my heart. I am so thankful to have Tony Cunha leading our worship. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. I'm so thankful for the choir and, and the praise band. Um, and I'm thankful for Adam leading our students. Amen. I'm just really, really thankful for Adam. And, and I know maybe it does something to you like it does to me. Every time I see the little herd of kiddos gathering behind Stephanie, I'm just so thankful we have someone investing in our kids. Amen? Amen. And I am thankful for that. Amen. Thank you. I recognize this is a little different staffing structure. I get it. It's probably not the Younger's Creek way. I get it. Um, but I really think God is doing something in our midst, even in an unusual way. Uh, I, I get it. I live in Campbellsville. Tony lives in Campbellsville. Adam now lives in Bowling Green. Stephanie lives with her husband, who's the children's pastor at Campbellsville Baptist Church in Campbellsville. I get it. It's not normal. But I really believe God is doing something out of the ordinary. I truly believe that. And, and I'm not making any assumptions. I'm praying for your pastor search team on a regular basis. I know they're working so hard. But I am just thankful for a very small opportunity to be a part of something that feels out of the ordinary. Sometimes those are the most special moments. So thank you for letting us be a part of this. And I know, I know this is probably not the norm. But maybe, just maybe, God had it for this season and for this time for us to do a little something out of the ordinary. Is that okay? Is that okay? If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to have you take them out and find Colossians chapter 3. But just like last week, I need you to find a couple other passages along with Colossians chapter 3. And if you have your bulletin, you might even want to drop one of the, uh, the bulletins in the, another passage. If you've got that VBS sign-up sheet, you might want to put it in the third passage. I need you to find Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 6, and Titus chapter 2. Okay? Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 6, and Titus chapter 2. While you're hunting for those passages and finding them in the New Testament, I want to just remind you that we're continuing a series of messages out of Colossians called The Path. And I'm, I'm adding every Sunday the topics that we've already talked about on our rope line. You remember the rope line. That's the illustration we're going by. That for believers, there is a path that we are to follow and... And along that path, there are critical markers, critical steps, critical opportunities for us to grow as believers in Christ. We began at the starting point of belief. That was our first spot. And we learned that Paul wrote to the Colossians to affirm them of their belief in Christ. He knew they were new to the faith, and he wanted to establish them that they really did believe. It's been a few weeks ago. Then we continue with believer's baptism or first obedience. And we talked about how in Colossians chapter 2, 
Paul uses the illustration of baptism to be like the burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, so that as we have been buried with him in baptism, we are raised to walk in the newness of life. It's an important outward symbol of something that's happened inwardly. Uh, Then we continued on to the Bible, and there's no more important thing for a new believer, for someone on the path, to recognize as God's instructions for their lives. And we looked at how the Bible was organized and how it came to be. Last week, from your comments, really as, as we were leaving, some of you said, boy, you don't normally preach like that. So I don't know if all the rest of my sermons here have been terrible or I was just on the mark last week. I don't know. But the home becomes our first ministry location, our most important ministry center. And we talked about moms and dads and husbands and wives and kids. Well, today I want to talk about work. I want to talk about the place that you get to be visibly a follower of Christ in front of the largest number of unbelievers. Now, the way I'd like to get us thinking about this is is to actually find out where you are in the work-life cycle. So I'm going to have you stand in one of three categories just so we can see across Younger's Creek, where each of you are. And there are three categories. And I think you'll understand them without me even explaining them up front. So if you are in this category, I would like you to stand. Category one, you have not began working. You are preparing through education for work that is to come. If you're in that category, would you please stand? That would probably be kids and college students, all right? All right, here we go. Look around. Come on, Rachel. She's like out of here. She's up and down. She's gone. You're preparing to work. Let me just look at you guys. Do you anticipate a long work career? How many years do you think you want to work? 70? I don't know. 60? Okay, very good. Okay, you guys. So we had one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, seven. I got it. Sit down. Seven. Seven in that category. Now, next category It's a little different. You have ceased working. Now, that could be because of retirement or because of an injury, but you are not presently working at a full-time level. And let's, if you're working part-time, don't stand up on this one either. You have ceased your occupational career life. If you were in that category, would you please stand? All right. Is there any words of encouragement you would like to give to the six that are about to begin their work life? It gets better, all right, all right. Okay, a fairly good number. Okay, all right, you may be, may be seated. Now, how many of you would be in the middle category? You're not in the yet to start or the I've already finished. How many of you are in the category of I am working part-time, I am working full-time, I am working full-time plus extra time, and I'm right in the middle or the beginning or the end, but you're in the work-life cycle. How many of you would still be regularly working? Would you please stand? Regularly working. Okay. All right. Very good. Do do any of you have any encouragement to the ones that have yet to start? 
Yeah, they don't want to say a word. They don't want to give any kind of hint. Okay, you may be seated. Okay. Three different categories. Yet to begin, has ceased, and those that are working. Let me have you do a little math in your head. A little computation. Let's say you begin working at age 25 and work to age 65. Now, many of you began far earlier, and some of you worked beyond. But let's just say, for sake of math, for 40 years, 25 to 65, you worked 40 hours per week. And let's just say you worked 50 weeks a year. That's counting some for vacation and some for sick. 40 years at 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year. Let's do the math. 40 times 40 times 50. How much would you have worked at the end of age 65? You would have worked 80,000 hours. Anybody want to say boo? Don't say amen yet. 80,000 hours. Now let's do another set of math. Let's say, let's say you are at church three hours per week, which is the average American Christian. And let's say you never miss a week, 52 weeks a year. You're here every single time the doors are open, and you do it for 40 straight years. You don't have a break. You don't have a pause. You're not in between churches. You're not mad at God. You're not mad at others. But for 40 years, 30, 52 weeks a year, for three hours of average a week, you are here. How many hours? Three times 52 times 40. That is 6,240. 6,240. Compared to 80,000 hours. Now let's do one last comparison. How many sermons have you heard on work as compared to church? You see, the vast majority of us spend more hours at work than we would at church, even if we multiplied it by 10. But we rarely really think of what it's like in our workplace and in our careers and in our jobs and in our time out in the community as compared to what we think about here inside this congregation, inside this gathering. Friends, today I want to talk about a major part of your life, whether you're yet to begin or you're right in the middle of it or you have already ceased working. I want to speak about something that commands our time and our attention, our thoughts and our energy. I love this little cartoon. Even when you're at work, you're dreaming of taking a nap, getting in your bed. But how many of you, when you actually go to sleep, all you dream about is work. I do. Any, other, any others that want to confess? I, I, sometimes I'll wake up. I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh golly, I'm so tired. And Jennifer's like, what was wrong? I'm like, I worked all night long. And she was like, oh, me too. I graded papers all night long. 
she has this anxiety dream that she can never get all of her grades in whenever the due dates are there, work. In several places in the New Testament, Paul speaks very clearly to the issue of work because he recognizes not only his church brothers and sisters, his congregation that he ministers to, but many of his friends and even he himself are workers and that the Christian life is one that includes long periods of work. It's often where we find our value. It's often where we find our most fulfillment. It's often the area that we struggle the most to be Christ-like. And so he really labors in work. Now, I'm going to read three passages, the three that I've mentioned, but I need to just prepare you before I read them with a little disclaimer. The language that Paul is going to use for first century hearers in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, in Colossae, book of Colossians, and in Crete, that's where Titus is serving, has the language of masters and slaves. Now we in America, immediately we hear the word slavery, we automatically think of the American problem of slavery. And it's truly not an American problem, it still exists all over the world. But in the time of Paul, yes, there were people who were fully enslaved, but that same language could be applied to someone who was paying off a debt, an indentured servant. It could also be applied to someone who was willingly working under the leadership of someone else. If you hear in Jesus' parables, he's often talking about the master and the servants who are working the fields. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. It wasn't anything that we might immediately conclude that someone had been taken from their home against their will, in bondage, in slavery, whipped, tortured. That doesn't always what it means. So just as you hear the language of servant and master, don't all automatically think of something wrong. It could be just the explanation of employer and employee. It's all there. So let us hear these words. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. This one, specifically, these verses are specifically to those who are servants, those that are employees. It's going to use the word slave, but you understand the context. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. Slaves, servants... Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verse 5 through 8. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. Again, slaves or servants... Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, 
not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, you heard that already, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. One last passage, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. You heard some repeating ideas, some repeating instructions. You heard some language that was duplicated there in Colossians and Ephesians. Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Again, there's the word slaves, servants, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. For the moments that we have, I want to try to weave a thread through all three passages and attempt to see what they're saying in all three places. What similarities, what commonalities do they have? What do all three of these passages have in common? Let's see the thread that Paul wants to weave between his letter to the Colossians, between his letter to the Ephesians, and his letter to those in Crete that are under the leadership of Titus. What thread is common in all three? Well, here's one. Number one, they're all written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Friends, do you think God Almighty wants us who work 80,000 hours, at least in the American context, to have instructions about a major part of our lives. Do you think God wants us to know what His plan is for us in our work? Well, He's given us three passages so clear that spell out what our attitude and what our, our way of thinking about work is to be. Now, Paul is really unique in his language here. He knows that there are Christians in all three of these locations who have no choice but to work in order to provide for their families and for themselves. Men worked, women worked there in the home and outside the home. Even children worked in this time. Very, very little educational system at this point. For the most part, when you're able to walk, you're able to work. There was working going on from the moment you woke up until the moment you went to bed. Sometimes you wouldn't understand. You know, we have this American context of a vacation. There is no vacation in the first century. We have this idea of sick time or paid leave. There is none of that in the first century. There's only one thing. Work so you can survive. No work. Life is in danger. A passage I didn't choose to read is actually in 2 Thessalonians where Paul compares those who choose not to work as probably those who are outside of the faith in Christ because they're unwilling to provide for their own families. Friends, this is critical to the life of the believer. But additionally, I have to say, Paul is unique in his ability to speak to this 
Because Paul himself, his entire ministry, he worked. How many of you know what Paul's job was outside of a preacher and teacher of God's Word? What was his job? He was a tent maker. A tent maker. In our modern day, he was a land developer. He made dwellings for people to live in. And, and I can really relate to Paul in some regards because just like most of you, those in the middle category, tomorrow i got to go to work. i got to be at work tomorrow. Paul would have preached his heart out on the Lord's day, but guess what would have happened right after that? He would have went back to work. He would have continued tent making and developing. He even says it this way in the letter to the Corinthians, even though I could have asked you for support, I chose not to be a burden to you so that you would have nothing ever against me. Let me just make a point here, friends. Sometimes congregations think that the only day the pastor works is on Sunday. Well, let me just disbar you of that thought. If you've ever thought that about me, you can put it aside. I'm going to go to work tomorrow, just like many of you. And I'm going to work so that my family can be provided for. Let, let me just say, in some ways, learning what it means to be bivocational and cross-vocational has been the greatest joy to me in ministry. Because I connect with the people who work far better than I did when I was in full-time local church ministry. Because no matter what people thought, they just saw me on Sunday and Wednesday night and they thought, oh, you don't do anything during the rest of the week, which is not true for staff members. But because they know now that I also work another job, they're very, very able to connect at a different level. I think, Ron, you might have been able to experience that. Ron served in another capacity and continued to minister and continue to lead. It's critical. Tony, you're going to work tomorrow. Yes, he is. He's nodding. He's going to work. We have an obligation to work. So Paul wants to really explain this because he's a worker. All of his people work and all of his churches have working lives. Let me give you a second point. Another thread is that all three speak to our attitude in the workplace. Now, you might hear master and slave, master and servant, and you think one thing, but Paul just really wants to put those words out there knowing that we have to work. And he says, this is the reality. This is the attitude. This is the way that you go about your jobs in whatever fashion you work not so that you have eye service or as people pleasers, but you work with the sincerity of heart. Did you see that in Colossians 3? Did you see that in Ephesians 6? Work with a sincere heart as you would work for Christ, fearing the Lord. You don't do it just when people are watching. You don't do it just whenever the boss is in the office. You work as unto the Lord. You work with sincerity. There's this old expression, maybe you've heard it, that when the cat's away, the mice will play. To me, that is the exact meaning of giving eye service 
that when the boss, when the manager, when the CEO is in the room or in the office or on the floor, oh, then I'm working. I'm working. Giving my very, very best. It's eye service. People-pleasing. But when the cat's away, oh, the mice will play. I used to love it. For those of you who are teachers, I used to love it when my teacher would be observed by the principal. It was the best of the teacher's ability, bar none. My, my son came home just a few weeks ago, and his teacher, his fifth grade reading teacher, had been observed for the whole week. I asked him how it goes. He's like, oh, it's been great. She's been teaching. She's prepared. She's got all kinds of cool things for us to do. It's been great. And I said, well, what's going to happen after the principal leaves? It'll go back to normal. She'll scroll Facebook, not pay attention, give us worksheets. A fifth grader can detect the difference when the principal is in the room in the teacher's performance. Can I confess as someone who works? When my dean is on the floor or my president is on campus, oh boy, let's put some things together here. Working, we're working, we're busy, we're not on Facebook, we're not dilly-dallying, we're not chit-chatting in the hallways, we're not necessarily wasting time. No, 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 the cat's in the house and the mice are no longer going to be about play. But if the cat leaves, President's on vacation. Oh, well, a little bit more relaxed. Take the coat off. Feel a little bit more free. Am, am I telling the truth, folks? Am I describing the human condition? But let me make this for you. Every day, every minute, every task at your job is not for your boss and it's not for your paycheck, and it's not even for your livelihood. Every task, every minute, every day is for the glory of God who observes everything we do. Our CEO is not the person in the big office. Our CEO is the creator of the universe. And he sees all, knows all, is aware of all of our work. And when our attitude is truly about people-pleasing or eye service, not unto the Lord, we are easily caught with the temptation to put off our jobs. No, friends, we are given this lungs and these hearts to breathe for this purpose. We serve unto the Lord, not unto a man or a woman or a company or an organization, we are standing before the Lord. And He has given us this job and this task and these gifts and these abilities and this opportunity. Friends, it doesn't matter what your paycheck is. It matters your attitude toward the God of the universe. Am I working unto the Lord? This is an important attitude adjustment. Because you're going to like some of the people you work with and work for, and you're going to despise some people you work with, and you work for. I didn't get an amen. There are going to be days when you love your job, and there are going to be days you despise your job. There's going to be days when it's easy, and there are going to be days when you would think, 
I would rather do anything else than this. But there's a sincerity of heart. There's a recognition that you're serving Christ. There's a recognition that you're doing the will of God. There's a recognition that you're doing this unto the Lord, not unto a man. You're not trying to please a man or please a woman. You're not trying to have eye service. You're doing your work as to the Lord. Colossians 3.23. I don't know about you, but I have this verse underlined in my Bible because I need it. I need it. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Friends, I know this may surprise you, but I don't work for any of you here. And the minute you think your pastor works for you, you're no longer a church of God. Your staff doesn't work for you. Secretary doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for a salary. It doesn't work. They don't work for a paycheck. No, friends. We all, no matter where we are, we work for the Lord, not for men. And we give glory to Him for these opportunities, not for simply a paycheck. You see, He's talking about our attitude. He's talking about our, our fulfillment in our work. Third, and I'm going to close. Yes, all three speak similarly because they're from Paul and they're focusing on our attitude. But let me give you one more. All three ask us to assess, to evaluate our verbal and silent witness to fellow workers. Now, this is from the Titus passage. So let's just let's go there and leave, leave our time there. The Titus passage says something slightly different. It's, it's in the same vein. Titus chapter 2, verse 9. Slaves, servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. We've heard that before. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. Now that's interesting. Not pilfering. But showing all good faith. They're uh, the Holman, the Christian standard, actually changes that just so slightly. It says that, that they should be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. Pilfering, stealing. That's how that is translated there. And it's an interesting idea. There's, there's a comparison. They're well-pleasing and they're not argumentative. That's a comparison. They're serving well, not causing disruptions. They're not stealing, but they're showing good faith. It's a comparison. Let me ask you, friends. Can we steal from our companies, from our businesses, from our jobs, and never take anything to our houses? Can we steal and never embezzle? Can we pilfer and never be brought up on charges of some wrongdoing? You see, the stealing attitude here, the stealing and pilfering is more than taking pens or paper clips. It's more than exaggerating miles on a mile log or adding a little extra to your expense account. 
it's when we are on the clock, we're giving everything we got to not steal from our employer. And let me tell you, I, I had my first working career, not a career, it wasn't a career, it was a two-year stint. It's like the Navy. I worked at McDonald's. Everybody does a couple years at McDonald's. And they had a little phrase, a little phrase that has been ingrained in my psyche. If you got time to lean, you got time. Did y'all work at McDonald's? <laughs> time to lean, time to clean. It's a little, little, little saying they give. Maybe lots of fast food restaurants do it. If you want to lean and chat and kill time and goof off, you could turn that energy toward cleaning a counter, cleaning a surface, cleaning a grill, cleaning the seating area, clean the parking lot. I mean, clean something. That prevented me from pilfering and stealing. There is a terrible attempt for us to always steal thinking that no one will ever know. We shave a little off here, a little off there. We exaggerate a little here, a little there. We goof off. We daydream. We come in a little late, leave a little early. And we think we're not stealing. What is one of the Ten Commandments? Do not steal. Those are all examples of stealing. But even beyond that, friends, what we're saying in our verbal and silent witness to those who are of no faith or of another faith is that the Christian is about stealing. You see, that passage there in Titus says, not pilfering, not stealing, but demonstrating faith, good faith, so that in everything they, who is they? They are the unbelievers so that they will adore the doctrine of Christ. Friends, when your attitude at work is sour, when your witness at work is pathetic, when you steal just because it's the natural thing to do, yes, God sees, but you know who else sees? The unbelieving world. And they believe that's what the Christian is about. They believe that's what the Christian integrity contains. And I say to you, and I believe you hold firm, that we don't want to proclaim something that's not glorifying to Christ, but that we want to honor Him in everything. Honor Him in the 80,000 hours called our working lives. You might have already retired from your work, You might have already given that time of your life the let it go. But I want to ask those of us who are still in that middle stage or before we even begin, will you let your work reflect your faith? Be a light at your work. Let your attitude reflect an attitude of Christ. Don't steal. Don't pilfer. Don't let your commitment to Christ come across as someone who is unwilling to do a good job. Remember that the most frequent connection that unbelievers have 
will never be here in the local church. The most frequent connection they have with the believers is at your local job. That's where they're going to see your faith. Let's pray together. Father, for whatever place we are in the three stages, for those that are preparing, for those that have retired, or for those that are working, I pray right now that you would allow us to be the kind of followers that are a light in our workplaces. Let our attitudes reflect Christ. Let our work not be for people-pleasing, but for pleasing our Savior. And let everything we do, let us work heartily for the Lord and not for men. For we are your servants in this time. Lord, for whatever word you have, whatever your spirit may have said, I pray now that we would respond appropriately. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to come and pray, if you need to pray with me, I'll be here, would be happy to lift you up. The altar is open. Would you stand as we sing a song of response to this message from God's Word?